Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> it's Monday's Irish Times second campus football podcast with all my Devon Ken early. Hi Ken. Hi, how are you? I'm well. I'm good. I'm good, Ken. I'm a little sad in, in ways though. Really? Well, one of the most compelling. Premier League players of the last 10 to 15 years has unfortunately called it a day. Well, he hasn't called it a day just yet, but he may as well. Really? According to Niall Quinn. Yes, Ken. John Terry's Chelsea career, RIP, says Quinny. Oh, yeah. On Sky Sports yesterday after the punishment substitution at halftime <laughs> at the Etihad. A declaration by Quinn that was met with some bemusement by his co-pundits. Yeah, although, to be honest, I think I was kind of... Um Looking at Thierry Henry and Graham Sooners, who were the, the co-pundits, they were staring at Quinn, really thinking, what is this guy on? Like, is, is Niall Quinn on drugs? <laughs> like, has Niall, has Niall, is Niall Quinn taking hallucinogenic drugs? He's normally quite a, a mild-mannered pundit. He's yeah. very articulate, but he doesn't ruffle that many feathers. No, he's not necessarily, you know, a Niall Quinn shouting the odds again, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, but, but, you know, Quinn was saying, look, that's, uh, that's it. You know, he's a, bro- he's a broken man. Terry looks a broken man. And it was kind of like, as, as Henri and, and seriously, like, what are you talking about? Um, Quinn kind of almost became more vehement in his view. But I actually think Quinn was, was onto something there. You can't pretend that that's just, uh, you know, that's just a, sm- a little thing that's going to be forgotten about. That was a big moment there. I, th- I thought, I mean, soon sitting there going, oh, John Terry's still the best. He's still the best uh, centre-half England have. He's not even the best centre-half Chelsea have, according to the Chelsea manager who left Gary Cahill on instead of John Terry. Uh, when he had, you know, oh, I've got I've to get my fastest player on the pitch, Kurt Zuma, I've got to get him on there. But he left on Gary Cahill. And you're not even convinced by that argument that he had to get his fastest player on the pitch. So Mourinho's logic it sounded straightforward to me, even though they did concede two goals in the second half. But if you take away the identity of the players, you know, I needed to get my slowest centre half off. I needed to bring my fastest centre half on because we were going to be chasing the game a little bit and we needed to push our line further up. And we're all well aware that a large part of the reason that John Terry's looked so good since Mourinho's come back is how deep he's allowed to play and how much cover there is around him. He wasn't going to be the man for the job in the second half there before they brought Zuma in, but you're not sure that that actually 
Well, I, I thought, okay, do, is that really what happened? Because I didn't notice that when I was watching. But I was watching on TV, so uh, you can't necessarily always judge. So the next best thing that I can do is look at the up to average position data, and that shows me that Kurt Zuma and John Terry were standing more or less the same position on average. Azuma is a little bit left and a little bit forward. Like, we're talking a couple of metres mm. of where John Terry was. But considering that Manchester City were 1-0 up uh, and were defending a lead, that's... Chelsea didn't suddenly go all out high pressing. Not at all. Attack. Not at all. So it wasn't as though John Terry would have been... You know, if John Terry could have stayed in the field and easily done what Kurt Zuma did in the second half, easily. And maybe he would have done a couple of other things better as well. I mean, maybe there would have been... I mean, Mourinho stood there congratulating himself, <laughs> uh, uh, saying, well, obviously, I think I was proved right. Uh, and you're thinking, well, you, you were 1-0 down at halftime, 3-0 at full-time. How, does, how do you get... How, do you make it you prove right? Well, he, he said this thing about we controlled the uh, depth of the game, we controlled the um, counter-attacks. Okay, but, you know, <laughs> you also let in a, a really simple goal from a set piece and then your defence totally collapsed to let in a third goal. Not the most compelling argument No From Jose We'll get some report on sport music on in the background here I know you feel more reassured When you have that music in the background Yeah the awkward silences Aren't as awkward <laughs> We're just sort of looking at each other Until this goes on going, well, Who's going to say something next um, Now it's more free flowing Ken It's more natural Just two guys just Having a, a talk of, about football Just a couple of guys In a 1970s themed um, <laughs> lounge um, Now where are we uh, What were we talking about I'm John Terry John, Of course John Terry So yeah, Mourinho, Mourinho was kind of saying, look, it's just a decision. You know, like any of the countless decisions I make as Chelsea manager. It is the first time you've done this, though, in 177 matches that you've managed Sean Terry, though. You've never actually substituted him. Well, you know, other managers didn't select him. So I thought it was significant Mourinho immediately started referring to the fact that I'm the best, I'm the best friend John Terry's ever had. You know, we could have John Terry... Uh, you know, he could, he could maybe get annoyed about this. He could maybe get annoyed about getting hooked at halftime in a in a huge game, one of the biggest games of the season, being laughed at by all the Manchester City supporters, having to sit there with the cameras on him as everybody, you know, sort of uh, gloats over his disgrace. I'm sure he could react badly to that if he wanted, but then he'd be forgetting that I'm the best friend he's ever had. <laughs> other managers weren't even putting him in the team. You know, certain other managers. Well, he started, he referred to Andre Villas-Boas and Rafael Benitez by name then in the in the press conference. But he also, in the press conference, was a little bit more... Um, open about what really had happened. And if Mourinho was to be really honest about what had happened here, I think he would have done something a little bit like, remember that game last season where he said minute, minute four, minute 31, minute whatever, I can't even remember the game it was, but he just, he listed off four minutes uh, where things had happened, which he considered to be uh, significant events in the game. Um, And he could have done the same thing, I think, uh, regarding this game. Uh, and obviously, minute one would have been one of them. I think minute 13, I was watching it again. I think 13 maybe was it. Uh, minute 20, minute 30, minute 33. These are the minutes in which John Terry made significant mistakes. The kind of mistakes that he doesn't use to, that he never used to make. Yeah. The very first one uh, was was uh, Silva got away from Fabregas, played the ball in between uh, Terry and um, Ivanovic, or is it the central defender? I'm not quite sure, but John Terry is the man who's supposed to be picking up Aguero. Aguero had kind of dropped towards halfway, and Terry kind of followed him, but not really. So there was a little space between them, and when Aguero turned to run onto this pass that Silva played, 
through the middle. Terry was just never able to close that gap. He could see what was about to happen and realized, oh no, I've got to get close to Aguero now and started running. But his legs could not carry him fast enough to get close to Aguero. And Aguero got through, had a one-on-one and missed. Um, In the 13th minute again, I think that was the one where Aguero got the ball in the middle of the penalty area. Uh, Terry went straight for him. And Aguero just sort of dodged right. Suddenly Terry's like, oh no, my momentum is now carrying me away from Aguero. Aguero dodged right, was able to shoot, get another shot in, which again Begovic saved. Then Terry missed the cross at the near post, which Aguero I don't think was expecting him to miss and, and made a mistake. Uh, didn't score. And then there was the goal in which Terry came forward out of defence um, to try and, you know, get the ball off Silva. Then had the ball essentially played in behind him into space that he left behind uh, and was out of position for, for what happened for the goal. Uh, and then Mourinho took him off. So watching this at the time, it wasn't really... You have to say that you could have... You know the City are getting a lot of chances, but it's not necessarily immediately apparent whose fault it is, but it is to Jose Mourinho. Mm. And I think the reason is that he literally watches every game, and the only thing that the only things that he pays attention to in the game are the positions of his two central defenders and defensive midfielder. Yeah, nothing else. Doesn't watch anything further he, further forward than that. He studiously he ignores. Has, he has the an ball. idea what's going on further up. He knows what Costa's all about. It doesn't matter. He doesn't need to watch that. <laughs> Costa's up there probably because you know he can tell by the by the screams of the crowd whether or not Diego Costa's having a good a good game. You know, if the, the angrier the crowd, the the home or away fans sound, the better Diego Costa's <laughs> playing. Uh, he doesn't need to watch that. He doesn't need to. It, you know, if the attacking players want to attack, you know, he doesn't really particularly need to pay any attention to that. What he needs to know is, are his defenders and central midfielder in the right position? And if you'd been watching John Terry closely, you would have thought, oh, hang on, John Terry, you actually haven't laid a glove on Aguero here. He's completely... You, but you'd have to be paying quite close attention. Most of the people are kind of like, well, John Terry, he's he's pretty good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the aura of, of, of being John Terry kind of insulates you against, um, you know, to being too... You know, for instance, Graham Sooners. Well, it's not like Graham Sooners was saying at halftime, oh, John Terry, what a, what a disgrace. This guy is... It, this is terrible. I consider him to be a great defender, but this was this is a subpar performance. There wasn't any of that. You know, re- reputations kind of will protect the player, but not against... Their manager, if their manager is Jose Mourinho, if their manager is Jose Mourinho, I don't think that a lot. I think a lot of managers would say they maybe they maybe they might come in and look at John Terry and say, John, you know, we're going to need we're going to need more. We really are going to need a bit more in the second half. Mourinho, just you're gone. You know, we're not even going to talk. But it's interesting because when Mourinho first came back to Chelsea, this was seen as the big uh, decision that he had to make, the big challenge he had to face. Ending the careers of Frank Lampard and, in particular, John Terry, without getting the fans too far offside and without having those players become disruptive influences at the club, he's managed to do. He did seem to do quite well with Lampard, albeit Lampard played a few games for Man City, which didn't work out too well for Jose Mourinho. But with Terry, it's all been sweetness and light up until now, and yet the big, the, the clearest issue that's arisen so far happens so publicly happens at half time in a big game against Manchester City which is kind of interesting mm. as opposed to well no, maybe there are things going on behind the scenes we don't know about well it wasn't just out there the, I mean there were a few reports the first time that Mourinho left Chelsea that you know things between himself and Terry had that his the relationship had seen better days mm. um, you know they obviously were working well together 
uh, for the first couple of years that he was back here because Terry was brilliant last season. I mean, this is the, this is the interesting thing about it. With most managers, I think the kind of performances John Terry delivered for Chelsea last season, especially in the second half of the season and the title run-in, would earn you a lot of credit. You know, it would be like, well, John, I know you're obviously just struggling to get things together here early in the season, but, you know, I know that I can rely on you because you are my lion. You're my Chelsea lion. And uh, and most managers, I think, would be like, most people would be like that. They'd, they'd be prepared. And Mourinho just is not. Like, he's just, he's come, he, gratitude is, is just such a stranger to him. You know, he's like, well, look, I'm not, you know, you're only as good as literally the performance you're giving today. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's a, it, you could say this is a winner's mentality. This is a ruthless mentality. But it's not the kind of mentality which is also likely to lead to, you know, a happy dressing room or a, a kind of a, a sense of, so, you know, keeping people on side. You know what I mean? Terry, I suppose, has left an option now. You know, when Villas-Boas and Benitez dropped him, obviously he wasn't, uh, let's say, a very positive influence in the in the dressing room. Those, those managers certainly didn't think that he was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he was obviously angry about that. And you remember him just at the end of this last season saying, "Oh, some people said I was I was finished. Well, you know, I've shoved it right up them kind of thing." Um, but you know, is he going to do that with Jose Mourinho? Jose Mourinho will 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 end him. You know what I mean? He he will. If, it, it might be the last thing he ever does at Chelsea, but he would quite quite cheerfully sack John Terry if he felt that there was going to be a, and maybe he maybe he would be able to do that maybe he's the only manager Chelsea could have that, that would have the kind of state or maybe that. that could be the issue that breaks the relationship between Abramovich I presume Abramovich is a John Terry man I don't know maybe not I, I don't I don't presume to know anything about That's, Abramovich I am really. making some presumptions there it's, it's hard to, it's, it's impossible knowing Roman like I do knowing the man like I do no no one has a no one has a, has a bull's notion what he thinks really um, I mean in, in this so in this instance what I'm saying is I don't expect that to actually happen I mean ter- uh, Mourinho was, was was kind of there was sticks and carrots there was like well you know other managers didn't even pick him and you know I've done a lot for John and you know the, the armband's only the armband but there was also he. To, he has my full confidence. He has my full confidence. So he's kind of. You get the impression that Terry is going to have to just swallow this one, you know, because the alternative is looks for him looks bleak. We'll talk to Jonathan Wilson more about this in a bit. Um, but I mean, it, just in terms of his wider impressions of the game, I mean, he, he described the scoreline as completely fake, which was, you know, I mean, it wasn't completely fake. It was a uh, it was a proper drubbing for Chelsea. Um, I mean, Mourinho was was kind of just like it was as though none of this is real. It's like the goal four did not take place. You know, <laughs> My, Chelsea losing three 0 to Manchester City did not happen. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it it clearly it clearly did. I mean, you could tell it did by the face of Manuel Pellegrini. It was literally the happiest I've ever seen anyone since two weeks ago when Arsene Wenger beat Jose Mourinho. And so you see the joy on the faces of these managers who Mourinho has been abusing and taunting um, uh, for so long. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Pellegrini looked delighted. And, and, you know, we were talking, myself and yourself, Owen, about Manchester City before the season started, saying, well, you know, City seem to be on a, in a kind of holding pattern. You know, they've signed, like, you know, one big player. Um, they're, they seem to be waiting for another manager to come along. Uh, although they did give Pellegrini a new contract, but they do seem to be waiting for Guardiola at the end of the season 
And, uh, you know, Pellegrini was saying, oh, you know, I'm sure we're going to win the league. But it wasn't as though there was much, uh, you know, <laughs> it didn't seem particularly convincing. But the performances have been convincing. You know, the performances have been really good uh, so far for Manchester City. Well, they do. I mean, the players I already have are of a fairly high quality. And if you keep getting the performances out of the likes of Aguero and you get Silva up to his best levels again, you still have some players there that I don't know are necessarily world beaters. Although Fernandinho made a good impact at the weekend. Well, slamming an elbow into the head of slamming, David Costa before scoring. Slamming, slamming the ball into the, the goal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was a big... That was one of his best ever games for, uh, for City, I would say. I mean, um, they really made Chelsea look very ordinary. I mean, the, fir- the kind of front four that they had. Although Navas, I'm not, I'm not sure how Navas is still really involved here. He, he, he just kind of looks like a runner to me. It doesn't really... Contribute there are a lot, yeah. There are a lot of guys you could see doing what Navas does, the, the role that Navas fulfills. It doesn't seem too highly specialist. No, but you know when you get Aguero and Silva playing um, really well as they as they currently are, Aguero obviously not injured at the moment, which is the key thing with him. Um, Silva playing well, uh, although he usually plays quite well in the first half of the season. Um, Vincent Kompany playing really well, and uh, uh, Mangala playing really well. Uh, the uh, central defensive partner, and maybe that was going to be his last game, it turns out, because it's being reported now that um, uh, Manchester City are going to sign uh, Nicolas Otamendi from the kind of you know, bearded, uh, teak-tough bearded centre-half from Valencia um, and send Mangala the other way in what will be another massive money-spinning deal for George Mendes, who's the agent of both these players. Now, Mangala, they only signed last year for, like, more than £40 million. Uh, so for him to be kind of effectively sent back is not a, it's not really a great outcome for City. Um, and then they'll bring in Otamendi, who I don't really think is a world-class central defender. To me, I'm kind of looking at this thinking, thinking to myself, why are they doing this? Just when that guy, Mangala, seemed to have figured out a couple of things, you know, played pretty well against Chelsea. Maybe, you know, things are about to work out for him. They kind of begin this process over again. You know, it just seems a bit... Um, I don't, I'm not sure about it, Owen, but uh, George Mendes, I suppose, will be happy uh, happy again. He's always happy. Let's talk about your new favourite team, Ken. Swansea City. Swansea City, yeah. I mean... You've been highly impressed with them. Another, uh, another fantastic win uh, for Swansea City. Another... Um, Amazing uh, performance by John Joe Shelby. Did you see John Joe Shelby's move in the lead up to the goal? Um, they, they beat Newcastle two 0 I mean, it wasn't as though Newcastle um, really did. I mean, the, the Newcastle's fate was sealed in the first half when Darley Anmad was sent off. Uh, he was sent off for hacking Jefferson Montero one too many times. Montero was doing the same thing to him as he'd done to Ivanovic the previous week. Um, but Shelby, again, uh, in the midfield, the ball through for Gomez was incredible. I mean, it's an abs- it's an incredible pass. It's not just an incredible pass, but also there's an interchange of passes with a, with IU, I think, which enables him to make the angle. Then he plays it through, you know, goes between three defenders, you know, misses them all by sort of an inch and lands per- or is weighted perfectly for Gomez to control. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. So far, Owen, Jonathan Shelby's player of the season. Mm. Um I'm not sure about Petr Cech. Although I must, I must say, nobody was was getting on to me yesterday saying, "Well, good game by Petr Cech today." No, it's funny. The critics don't do that, Ken. The critics don't usually get on to you to congratulate you on no. you get right. Real calming display by Petr Cech at the centre of Arsenal's defence. There, um, he really sort of um, 
you know, chilled everyone out and uh, and helped them through a tetchy last few minutes against Crystal Palace. That that didn't happen, but you know that, that's what he did. The other thing, the other um, team we played quite well this weekend were Everton. Um, so well, well, this is their manager Roberto Martinez. He says we were outstanding in every aspect of our performance. The intensity was incredible, and on the counter we looked unplayable. So uh, quite positive uh, <laughs> review of his team from Roberto Martinez. Um, which reminds me a bit of Mike Tyson. My style is impetuous. Uh, My defense is impregnable. <laughs> but he does end by, I think he ends that rant by, uh, that rather poetic rant by threatening to eat, eat his babies. kids. Yeah, yeah I'll, eat, I'll eat your but, children. Yeah. Uh, which Mar- Martinez didn't do. I mean, he showed Ronald Koeman Southampton what's what, but he's no interest in in going even further again and <laughs> eating eating their offspring. <laughs> yeah. That's just not the kind of manager he is. But it, but um, Very surprisingly few managers in the Premier League would consider doing that. E- eating the offspring of other managers. Simeone maybe. <laughs> Simeone maybe would do it. I mean, at Atletico, you know, if if you know, if it was a big enough game and he had a couple of penalties not given. <laughs> um, but uh, Everton uh, did play really well and this was uh, as a repost the best possible repost to um this banner that was flown over the it was an interesting banner because most of these banners um you know it's obviously the price of hiring light aircraft has come down substantially in recent years and these banners have become a kind of uh, quite common feature of games where supporters some supporters are unhappy but that mostly it seems to be the manager who's getting abused by the banner or sometimes supported mm-hmm. um in this case it was the board kenwright and co hashtag time to go nsno NSNO um, being a reference to Everton's motto on the request of Nil Sadi Satis Nisi Optimum. Nils Satis Nisi Optimum. I don't speak Latin, Owen, but uh, it means nothing but the best, or let's not settle for anything but the best. And maybe uh, some of the supporters feel that, in fact, Everton are doing just that, settling for something less than, less than second best. Martinez said, uh, I didn't see it. But Everton, I thought, looked like a really good team. Now, I mean, I was watching this game and thinking... McCarthy's playing really well. Coleman's playing really well. Barkley's playing really well. Lukaku and Kone looked like a brilliant strike partnership. You know, I mean, you would not really fancy playing against these guys. Uh, you know, Lukaku is in one of his kind of good spells of form where he's, you know, his headers are flying into the net. And um, thinking, John Stones, why would you want to leave this team? This is a great team to play in. He's 20 years old. Um, he's playing every game. He's got like lots of players, you know. Okay, he's the youngest of that bunch of players that I just mentioned. But you know, this is a fairly young side kind of players who are getting developing together. Must be an exciting team to be part of. Why would you want to leave this to go and be to help Jose Mourinho's squad options? And then obviously the whole thing happens with Mm. Terry. Maybe it's going to be a slightly different situation. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Terry, if I mean, I think Chelsea are going to come back for Stones probably this week. But previously, you would have thought it was Gary Cahill had to be looking at that and thinking to himself, Ooh, this is a little bit worrying. But now, it's not quite so clear. Maybe it's John Terry who's thinking, well, and if that's the case, then suddenly all of this talk about, well, John Stones should go to Chelsea and learn from a great manager, Jose Mourinho, and a great defender in John Terry. What better place to learn the game than under the wing of the greatest English centre half of his generation. Can you imagine what a poisonous <laughs> environment uh, the underside of John Terry's wing would be for John Stones <laughs> if he was to come along yeah. and be the guy who was supposedly going to replace him at Chelsea? I'm not sure. I'd, I still think if I was Stones, I might be thinking of another season or two at Everton. Quick word about Villa. 
You want to mention? Um, yeah, just Paul Lambert. I mean, have you, have you seen Paul Lambert recently, by the way? No, I've seen no. I've seen very little of it. Well, maybe you have seen him. You didn't realize you were looking at Paul Lambert. Was he? You were thinking, who is this? Sculpted himself? Absolutely. He's he's uh, he's. It's a radical makeover. Uh, he's got rid of the glasses. Uh, okay, that's not that radical. He's he's also he honestly looks like a completely different person. It's amazing. He's you know the way he had these sort of little jowls. Yeah. Uh, he was almost a man defined by defined by those jowls. Now they're gone. He's he's looking uh, he's looking strong. He's looking confident. He's looking fresh. Uh, he honest, honestly, honestly, you wouldn't if you saw him. You, I, I'm not sure that you would immediately no, recognize him. him. Yeah, I recognized yeah. him by his voice. I was like, that's that sounds. I mean, it's still the Dower Paul Lambert voice. He hasn't jazzed that up. <laughs> but it's, 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 he looks different, and he he taken his um, his fresh new look uh, out to Qatar to talk to Keezy. Um, where he he compared <laughs> Richard Keyes coaxing uh, coaxing Lambert to uh, to overshare compared managing Aston Villa to being on death row. <laughs> I mean, I think I think maybe it's Aston Villa and Paul Lambert are just as well being away from each other now. Yeah, you know, it's like I think he he was maybe letting it get a bit of top. He was getting a bit depressed. And he was depressing everyone else at Villa. If he was really saying that managing Aston Villa is being like being on death row, uh, it's like the Green Mile. That walk from the tunnel, that walk out the Villa is like the Green Mile. Come on. Uh, he, he was saying Randy Lerner isn't given enough support. Randy Lerner has been fairly open about the fact that he's been a bad chairman. I mean, before the... Um, uh, Lambert said something like, oh, you know, he's, uh, he's had a few things going on in his personal life, which he's been more open about now and I mean all, all Lambert has said is or Lerner rather has said was that look you know, when I bought this club I was sort of interest, interested in it. I'm not anymore particularly the media side of it I just don't care anymore I've got stuff my, my life is in the United States I don't really have the time for this and I want to sell the club uh, and to be honest if the Villa fans who are booing me I totally agree with them <laughs> um, so he's not uh, but you know at the same time I, I don't think comparing uh, comparing managing you know one of the Premier League's proudest and oldest clubs to a uh, to death row is, is a good idea. That's for it for Kennedy's report on sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> a number of players have played, but they're still in the squad. I wonder, did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job? No, absolutely not. No, 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 obviously none of their business. You know what I was going to do? It's a ridiculous question. <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches. There's nothing to tame, you know, some sort of animal, you know what I mean? Um, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do. He makes me look like Mother Teresa. You know, he's, um, I don't know, we want to win football matches. We've had a lovely few days, the hotel's been lovely, food's been excellent, training ground is lovely, no potholes, uh, we've had footballs, it's been great, bibs, everything, it's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. All right, Jonathan Wilson is going to talk to us about John Terry and his substitution, punishment substitution, whatever it was exactly, Jonathan, uh, yesterday afternoon. And Niall Quinn certainly felt that this was a big deal and that this could be the end of John Terry at Chelsea. Thierry Henry and Graeme Souness were in the studio with Niall Quinn at Sky and, to be honest, we're looking at him with a certain amount of disbelief. Was Quinny onto something? Um, I think he's definitely onto something in the sense that it, it felt like a, a, a seismic moment. That you know they, they come out at the start of the second half and you oh there's Kurt Zuma who, who God Terry's gone off 
and it was you know you you could sort of feel the shock sort of radiating through the press box and through the stadium that nobody had sort of seen it coming. And then Mourinho afterwards was very dismissive about it. I mean, you know, his reasoning was that he felt he needed more pace in the back four, and he said, you know, he was he was um, effectively saying it was a toss up whether he took off Cahill or Terry. He, he needed the pace of Zuma. Um, but then, you know, he, he was pressed on, well, why did he choose Terry not Cahill? And he didn't really have an answer for that, or, or refused to give an answer to that. So I, I think it is a big moment. I mean, I, I'm not sure it necessarily means Terry's career is over. But the the contrast to last season when you know he was on the pitch after the after they wrapped up the title against Palace, you know, sort of hitting back at Rafa Benitez, so, you know, for saying you know some manager said I couldn't play two games in a week, and then only two games in this season, he's not even managing the whole game. Never mind two games in a week. So yeah, it it did feel like a like a major moment, and it sort of added to this this sense that. Things are just going wrong for Chelsea. This third season syndrome seems to affect Mourinho. Is it's happening again? Well, Tommy Johnson in real time uh, during that first half was it particularly obvious to you that John Terry was having a bad game? Um, it was obvious that the back four was having a bad game, and I, I think what was particularly significant was, and this is something actually Mourinho referred to afterwards. But you know, we saw last week against Swansea that there were those. Two occasions when John Joe Shelby played balls in behind the defence for uh, Babatimbi Gomez to to run onto, and it's the sort of chance that Chelsea you, know, you don't think of them conceding that type of chance. They don't play with a high line, uh, and so they get done twice by that type of ball. You, you sort of that's a, that's a bit weird, and and, and yeah, you, know, you know that they got a lack of pace at the centre defence. That, that's but that's clearly the weakness of Cahill and Terry as a pairing, and then within 15 seconds, there's Aguero through again. Um, and Mourinho said that they'd they talked about it all week. That was a thing they were they were desperately concerned by. That they knew that City's front three are all very very quick. That was something they had to watch. And yet they got caught that quickly. Um, so the fact that they that the back four obviously was then panicking about that. And I think they dropped too deep. And, and Mourinho again spoke about that after the game. They, he's actually for once um, you know, managers very rarely go into technical detail, tactical detail. And he, he was Mourinho was saying that the gap between the midfield and the, and the back four um, just became too big, and that gave Silver space to play in. And he talked about that at some length. And it may be he was trying to deflect attention from the, from a Terry issue, but it was fascinating to hear him talk about that. And you sort of thought, well, why is that an issue now when it wasn't last season? And yeah. there, there wasn't really an answer to that. Well, that's so maybe pro- that's that is problem. something personal with with Terry at the moment. I think I think that is the problem because you know it's never been. Uh, you know, it's not as though this is the first time everyone's noticed that John Terry isn't the quickest central defender, but he's never missed a minute before um, for for Jose Mourinho um, of a game that he's actually started. And also, when you looked at what actually happened in the game, the second half of the game yesterday, you know, they show the average position graph is, is by no means a, a perfect measurement, but it seemed as though Kurt Zuma was playing in pretty much exactly the same position as John Terry. I mean, uh, you know, in terms of his average position on the field. It wasn't any higher up the field. It was it was the same. It was a, it was a straight enough swap. It wasn't a radically different Chelsea in the second half. It was it was effectively the same Chelsea hoping to uh, hoping to nick a goal. It seems as though um, Mourinho was more concerned by that opening mistake and maybe a couple of other times in the match that Terry let Aguero get away from him. And he was saying this performance is not uh, is not acceptable. It's, it's not up to the standards I require of a Chelsea player. I don't care if you're John Terry, you're out. Possibly. I mean, uh, maybe the average position of Zuma uh, 
was pretty similar to Terry's. But I mean, I think Chelsea, you know, whatever else, whatever other obfuscatory things Mourinho said, I, I, yeah, he, he was right that they were much better in the first like, 25 minutes, half hour of the, of the second half than they had been in the first half. And that Silva didn't have the space that he had had. So, so you know, something in the structure had changed. Now, whether that was because of Zeman, whether that was because of other things, you know, it, I, I think it's hard to, to say without sort of watching the whole game back again. Um, but I, I wondered as well, I mean, Mourinho is so aware of symbolism, probably more than any other manager, in, well, certainly any other manager in the Premier League at the moment, maybe any other manager ever in the Premier League, that whether there was a sense of, yeah, he he wanted to rattle the whole squad by saying, "Look, you're not going to be, be complacent like City were last season. You know, we don't accept that. And to prove this, I'm going to sacrifice, you know, Terry, the great leader. He's the one I'm going to pick on. Uh, whether there was an aspect of that, I, I'm not sure. But it, it it did just sort of. You know, already it sort of feels like we're going through the process we went through in 2006-7 of the Mourinho Empire beginning to crumble. Yeah, it could certainly crumble quickly if John Terry reacts badly to this. I mean, John Terry, the great leader, would obviously just take his medicine and if he doesn't play another minute, he'll continue to cajole the troops behind the scenes. (laughs) But John Terry, the egotistical, driven footballer that's made himself into one of these great defenders in world football, will surely be bristling at the idea. What's your prediction, Jonathan, as to how the relationship's going to go between the two men? Well, I think in the short term, it's probably not an issue. Um, I think... It's. It's. Um, I, I. I spoke to uh, Vita Bayer, the the old Porto goalkeeper, um, l- last month, and um, he was saying something. I mean, I'm, I'm now giving away kind of the heart of an article I'm writing next week. But um, Vita Bayer was saying that when he was at Porto back in, I think it was um, autumn 2002, and so yeah, he was the big star. He was he was an established name, and Mourinho dropped him. There was a bit of a row on the training ground, and he banned him from all club activity for a month. And when he came back, Mourinho hugged him, took him aside, and said, "I didn't mean anything by that. You know, I had to shake everybody up, and you were the one we picked on. Uh, I hope you understand that." And he said, "There's times gone by, you sort of come to accept that actually it was the right thing for the club, maybe even the right thing for him to refocus him." So if Mourinho can sort of take Terry aside in a similar way, say, "Look, we we needed a we needed a sacrifice." At that moment, and you were the most, um, you, you know, you you're such a symbol that you were the one that I, I, I had to to sacrifice. Uh, but don't worry, you're back now, and, and you know you, you have a place in the team. Then perhaps it will be fine. Uh, I mean, when asked about Terry's reaction, Mourinho said, "Well, you know, he wasn't dancing around the dressing room, but he he took it as a professional should." And you know, his body language on the bench didn't seem particularly sulky or anything. So. I think at the moment there's no real reason to worry, but if Terry's form remains a concern, then, then yeah, personality issues may may become more difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point you make there that maybe, you know, Mourinho can say to Terry, you know, you have the biggest balls in the squad. That's why you had to be the man that I, you know... Gary Cahill couldn't take a dropping like this. You no. know that, JT. It would break. It would break <laughs> Cahill. But it would not, you know, it wouldn't break a man of iron like you. I mean, apparently Alex Ferguson used to bully Ryan Giggs in the same way because, you know, Giggs could sort of take this abuse, which maybe someone else might have taken to heart, and Giggs thought, well, that's just the way that he goes on. But, um, I mean, it's not as though Terry is the only problem in that theme at the moment. I mean, you, you've had a chance to, to to watch them now, I think, twice, Jonathan. 
and they really don't look as though they're um, up to speed of the season yet. I mean, Fabregas was really terrible uh, in the game. I mean, they highlighted in the um, they highlighted in the match of the days and else a moment in the first couple of seconds when David Silva just uh, you know turned him and Fabregas was trundling around in a wide arc. It was really embarrassing. Um, Branislav Ivanovic, who was who's been one of their best players for such a long time. Uh, looks as though he's struggling a little bit as well. All over the squad, you see these these signs, these these problems. So, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I've actually seen them three times. I saw them in the Community Shield. I saw them at um, against Swansea, and then I saw them yesterday. And I'm, I'm seeing them at West Brom next week. So, um, and, and the, the I think the fascinating thing is that in the Community Shield, there's this sort of assumption: well, they've just come back from the US. They've been on this tour. Maybe there's a feeling that last. Season they peaked too early and they were sort of clinging on a bit by the end. So maybe they've they've sort of um, uh, delayed that the the preseason process. You know they're going to hit their peak slightly later this season. But there hasn't been any great sign of an improvement since the Community Shield. Uh, there's a general sluggishness. I think you know the point about Fabregas is absolutely right that he, he's he's leaving Matic with a huge amount of work to do. I thought it was slightly surprising yesterday that uh, Fabregas started at the back of midfield. I thought he might be pushed forward into the position William eventually had. William could have played on the right and Ramirez at the back of midfield. But I think the fact that Ramirez played on the right uh, suggested how concerned Mourinho is by Ivanovic's form, that, that he thought, you know, City on that side with, with Kolarov and Sterling, you know, two players with great pace. And we saw what Montero did to, um, to Ivanovic, that his turning circle seems to have got even bigger than it, than it, it was previously. He seems unable to, uh, to cope for that, that, that slight lack of mobility in the way that he used to. That, that he needs protection, uh, but then you know, the thing that cost him a second goal with Ivanovic, it, it wasn't his pace. Uh, which I mean, he, he actually basically did okay against Sterling. There's a moment when he, I think he did get booked for it at the beginning of the second half when Sterling went past him, he chopped him down to the edge of the box. But apart from that, he pretty much handled Sterling quite well. But there was you know, a simple corner, and, and he was out muscled by by Company to, for the for the second goal. And okay, Company's a, a big, powerful bloke. Apparently, he's done a lot of work on his upper body over the the summer. But Ivanovic isn't the sort of bloke you, you think of as being being out muscled. That even if he came up against a stronger opponent, which you know, doesn't happen often, you'd think he's got enough about him, enough nastiness, enough defensive nous to be able to do something to stop him. And he, you know, he was just sort of swatted away by company there. So yeah, I think Ivanovic is a big concern. I think Fabregas is a big concern. Uh, Jonathan Vincent Company finished last season and thought, well, that was disappointing. What area of my game do I need to work on? I know I need to get even <laughs> bigger in the upper body. This is somebody pumping iron all summer. But apparently so, yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's brought him two goals from set plays already. Um, he just looks. I mean, it, it's it's a cliche that I hate this 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 notion that players suddenly going to get on a mission that yeah you know, they suddenly feel that no I've got to sort this out because I just don't think the world works like that. The cliche but, Thierry Henry used uh, on on Sky Sports yesterday. Uh, Jonathan, he, he certainly believes uh, believes the same thing. Well, it is what it looks like. It looks like companies going, oh, for goodness sake, let's just win it this season. And if I have to do it myself, I'll do it. And it was almost, you know, that goal, um, it came, I think, nine minutes after the chance that, that Azar had had. Basically, the only good thing that Diego Costa did in the game when he you know, he, he uh, held the ball up and, and laid a square for Azar, and Azar hit the shot straight at, um, straight at Joe Hart. And it, the fact it was sort of, you know, with, within a few minutes of that, it, it did, there was this sort of sense of company going, Okay, that was a bit close. Let me sort this out and get a second goal and, and quieten everything down. 
Um, and I think his reaction as well, the sort of the wildness of the celebrations, which is, mm. is something you don't really think of as, as a company trait. But it was, you know, he, he does look, well, put it this way, there's, there's no lack of hunger about company this season. He, he definitely wants it. All right, Jonathan, brilliant to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Oh, it's nice to get a sneak peek into upcoming articles again. Jonathan there, letting oversharing about uh, Victor Baia, but uh, that does sound like uh, an interesting... He just can't stop himself. He just can't stop himself. Like, Should I say this? Once the journalism <laughs> starts, it does not stop. What do you think the JT reaction from now is going to be? I think he has... I think he's no choice but to suck it up, swallow his pride, and that's not going to be easy because there's a lot of pride to swallow. I mean, can you imagine, like, that and vats of it. He couldn't do that. Thick, phlegmy pride is all going to have to go down the hatch <laughs> before John Terry can think of resuming uh, his Chelsea career. Difficult position. He couldn't do that all in one sitting, could he? Swallow all that pride. I mean. Look, if anyone could, John Terry could. But I'm talking about really, this stuff doesn't even, you really have to work at swallowing this stuff. It's like, gulping it like that you know it doesn't even flow if you raise the beaker to your lips this is the kind of stuff that isn't even going to flow down under the power of gravity you you almost have to tip it back and then swallow it back and it's not just one beaker crates and crates of this stuff but if he puts it in a blender say oh no no it's already it's like I mean I'm trying to think of what what kind of viscosity I'm talking about here I don't think you can really I don't think you can liquidize it really anymore. No, it's down. It's, it's as easy as it's going to get, and that's to say, very difficult to digest. Very. Difficult. I'd say compared to it, it's a sort of a paste, and uh, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be one of the most memorable days of John Terry's career when he does this. <laughs> but it's it's something that he's going to have to do if he wants to play for Chelsea Football Club. ESPN's John Bruin is going to talk about two wins from two for Manchester United, John. But mm, this. This worrying sense that they're very reliant on Wayne Rooney, who hasn't hit form yet in his couple of games so far this season. They've let a couple of strikers go from the club. These concerns have been voiced outside of Manchester United. Do you reckon that those concerns are actually shared at Old Trafford? Well, yes, you'd have to, you'd have to suggest that they, they would do, um, though perhaps not from the manager, which I suppose is the most important thing in that regard. But if you look at Rooney, Rooney's career as a whole... Um, I struggle beyond the 2009-10 season when he played well from start to finish until actually he got an injury that season, didn't he? Um, to think of a season where Rooney has been consistent, has been fully fit an entire season. Think of a player who many times over his career, or let's not say many times, a couple of times, has been sent off to work on his fitness. Um, and a player who... Uh, is outwardly quite confident, but uh, if you listen to what Sir Alex Ferguson said in his autobiography and it has said, sometimes not the most confident player, a player whose confidence can slip. Now, he's club captain, and I think uh, last season he grew well into that role, also that did that for England, but you're relying on a player who is 29, 30 this year, um, not always in the greatest physical condition, and um, at the moment, really not playing the best football of his career. Quite a long way off that, in fact. 29 is not old, though, John. I mean, you know, he's 30 in October. This is a guy who should have, you know, he should still be capable of playing for uh, a few more seasons at the top level. Certainly, this season should not be a a problem. He's still in his 20s. Why couldn't he just get himself in shape? Well, that's true, but, I mean, he's played since he was 16, so... There, you know, there's such a thing as miles on the clock, um, 
And if you think, there are a few players who's, I mean, I think if Steven Gerrard or someone like that, beyond the age of 30, he slowed down noticeably. Um, again, there's a player who played relentlessly since being a teenager, and Rooney's probably played a lot more football than Gerrard had. Um, the, the, the getting in shape thing, yes, well, that's been a point of some debate over many summers. And I, I do believe that Rooney probably looks after himself a lot better than he did a few years ago. But um, it's just the position he's playing. It exposes his lack of um, perhaps, perhaps fitness. But at the moment, the thing that really stands out for me is the lack of touch. Um, when Rooney's on his game, then... Uh, he, even when he's at his game, I'm not sure he's got the best first touch, you know. Um, you look back to his breakthrough, 2003, 2004, this was not a player who was technically perfect. Um, it was to do with power. He's not a Ryan Giggs, he's not a Paul Scholes whose first touch was always superb. He's a, he's a power player, and I suppose if his power diminishes, uh, his ability to burst away from players diminishes, then he's a player diminishes. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is, is something that I've heard a couple of people point out to this position, the centre forward, it doesn't really suit him at the moment. I think it was Alan Shearer suggesting, you know, he needs to play further back, he needs to play, you know, as a second striker in those little areas, as, as people say. Um, I remember, though, Paul Scholes, a man who knows Rooney's uh, strengths and weaknesses re- reasonably well, saying during the World Cup uh, last year when he when Paul Scholes used to be a controversial pundit that the only position Wayne Rooney was actually capable of playing these days was centre-forward and that if he didn't play him at centre-forward, if Roy Hodgson didn't play him at centre-forward for England, there was effectively no point in having him in the team. <laughs> well, yeah, there's several points of view there. I mean, the thing is... If you actually think of Alan Shearer as a player, Alan Shearer, towards the end of his career, when he had, he'd had some serious injuries, um, much more serious than Rooney's ever suffered, let's say that, um, but, but Shearer was still the best finisher in the game, something Rooney's definitely not, though he's a decent finisher. You need somebody, if, if, if a centre-forward's going to be immobile, you need someone to fetch and carry the ball for him, as, uh, let's say, uh, Craig Bellamy used to do for Shearer at Newcastle, where... They do all the running and the centre forward moves into position and finishes from there. I'm not sure at United they've got that player just at the moment. I mean, Memphis Depay, they're trying to, to change into that type of player, um, but he seems to be, he struggled a little bit in his first couple of games. I mean, he tried Yanazai the other night. Um, Rooney's isolated, and within that isolation, he struggles. And if you think of a game that Rooney played up front, uh, Famously, I mean, there's the game for England against Algeria in uh, in South Africa, which is one of the worst games of all time, and also the game against Portugal in 2006 when he got so frustrated playing on his own because of the isolation, because of the fact he wasn't getting the ball, he eventually got himself set, sent off. So I'm not sure if he is a player made for that position. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Memphis Depay there. He uh, has come in for a big fee. Um, maybe with Rooney not uh, not really firing yet. Uh, people are kind of looking to him to do a little bit more. Uh, it's actually a really, really difficult uh, thing that he's being asked to do, to come into a club the size of Manchester United and sort of hit the ground running. He doesn't really have a lot of um, support around him. For, for a player of that age, coming from the Dutch League, really, they're probably asking a bit too much of him at this stage. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But it's a, it's a very 
it's a very Van Hal thing to do, isn't it? Bring a player in who um, and just play him in in a position and in a role that he's not really used to. I mean, I know he played a bit off the left the other night, but it's it's it, it seems to be typical Van Hal. He signs a player and plays him in a different position. Um, all of these problems, you, you would have to suggest, are down to uh, Van Hal's philosophical thinking on his team and the way that he's trying to set them up, um, which, as ever, bemuse other people, bemuse the, you know, the layman, the likes of you and I that are watching it, thinking, why is, he, why is he doing this? Surely there's a more simple way to do it, but that's not the Van Hal way. Simplicity has nothing to do with the way he approaches football. His approach to football has maybe put off one or two players. Certainly, uh, Victor Valdez fell foul of him, and he's you know, conflicting reports on whether or not David de Gea did say he didn't want to play for him uh, until everything is sorted out there and until he gets his move. In the meantime, Pedro still hasn't signed, and there are rumours there that maybe Pedro isn't. Obviously, he talks to his international teammates, and maybe he isn't getting the best reports back on Louis van Gaal. Is his man management maybe becoming an issue or is that playing too much? I suppose Pedro could end up signing later on this week, which would uh, put pay to that. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the suggestion is that Pedro will sign this week. Um, the Manchester City thing just seems to have gone away a little bit. I mean, that was a link last year. That, that, when, it, when another club sort of is, is a rival club, a rich club is floated like that, you're always quite suspicious of, of, those, of those little stories coming in. But, yeah, there does seem to be an undertone at United uh, about Van Hal's man management. I don't think it's become a crisis yet, but um, Valdez's issues are said to be with the training, and maybe not every player is is happy the way that training's going at United. Um, it's Van Hal. This is how he manages a club. Uh, this has been the way since he became a manager in the early nineties. Uh, it's very much a like it or lump it approach. Um, and, you know, if you talk to people that have worked with Van Gaal, they will say that when you're with him, things are great. When you're not with him, things can go very bad. And they can go very bad very quickly. But at the moment, Manchester United are a winning team. They've won two games playing, let's be honest, absolutely stultifying football. <laughs> but it's working at the moment. And therefore, Van Gaal is able to say, well, you know, here we are. This is my club. We're top of the league or towards the top of the league. This is fine, but yeah, there may be a few undercurrents coming through. And let's face it, look at Van Gaal's managerial career. Uh, beyond Ajax, he's never really lasted too long at a club. All right, listen, John Bruin, thanks a million. Cheers. What do you think of John's argument, Ken, that even though he's only 29 years of age, Wayne Rooney, it's maybe a different 29 to a footballer who, in a more standard manner, breaks into the team at maybe 20, 21 and works way up from there. He's been playing high-level professional football from the age of 16. Yeah, I mean, it's true, but, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at Ryan Giggs, he was playing high-level professional football when he was 17, and he played till he was 40, 41. Different frame. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the fact is people age at different rates. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one 29-year-old is not the same as the next one. Some pe- people just age at different rates. Some people are... I mean, look, when Rooney was 16... He was already like a little bear, you know. He was like, um, uh, you know, strong, stocky, powerful. In a way, most sixteen-year-olds are skinny, feeble. You can't, you, you could not put them in a Premier League game and expect them to survive. You know, they just get smashed by pretty much everybody. 
Uh, and Rooney was a rare example of someone who wasn't. So he was kind of like a couple of years older than his contemporaries. If you, if you older, not necessarily chronologically, but biologically, he seemed more he seemed more developed. And that development has continued, and now he's again biologically more developed than his contemporaries. Even though he's twenty nine, maybe he's maybe he's a little bit more like a guy in his mid thirties. Can we just go back for a second to something that Jonathan Wilson said earlier again? Yeah, Vincent Company, according to reports has identified upper body strength as the key area he needed to work on this summer. He's been pumping iron. He's been getting himself bigger. And he's now like this superhuman beast. And more more power. Sure. We're going we're to need more power. <laughs> Surely you get to Vincent Company's stage of upper body development and you think there's not really much more to add here. Maybe he's sculpt- Maybe he's, he's refining what he already has in a certain way, but I can't imagine he'd want to be adding much more bulk to that frame. Well... I mean, what he did was surely you slow down eventually. I mean, keep adding all bulk. Ivanovic, I remember, was was uh, Sterling, who was up against him yesterday, had previously nominated him as the most difficult player he'd ever played against, uh, and the reason being, well, he said big upper body, big lower body, big. <laughs> he's just a tank. He's an absolute tank. And this was the same Ivanovic who company was was just contemptuously holding, like pinning there with one arm. He he just put his arm on Ivanovic. Ivanovic couldn't either, couldn't come closer to company, couldn't make a jump for the ball, couldn't leave the ground, couldn't do anything. He was just helpless. Uh, pretty impressive uh, strength, the demonstration of strength from company. So you're saying there's no 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 problem, just keep getting bigger. If Vincent Company has three or four years after this one, just keep putting on mass. Imagine how big he'd be by the end. Well, look, you know, if it, if it works for him, he's found a style of defending. He's found a style of defending and attacking at set pieces that works extremely well for him. Who am I to sit here and criticise? All right, have a listen to our next show. We're going to be putting that out this afternoon. It's Monday afternoon, reflecting on a lot of the rest of the sport that went on this weekend. Key in amongst that was the incredible game between Galway and Tip in the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final. Owen Kelly is in studio for that one. Always a man well worth listening to in these big games. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the football podcast. Thank you very much, Ken, for all your your valuable contributions. Thank you too, Owen. And we will talk to you soon. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.